Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Palmer bet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Thanks with Ian Smith. Maureen in New Zealand, uh, good morning to you all. Uh, Ian Smith here. It's 9.03 as we work our way through to midday this afternoon. Uh, and then Mark Stafford through from uh, 12 o'clock onwards there. So a really busy uh, show this morning and hope that uh, you can come in on it as well. Uh, lockdown, of course, is still in play. So therefore, um, plenty of opportunity for you to text us um, and also uh, call us 0800 150 811 is our phone number 8833. You can text us with the issues of the day. Um, this morning, a really, really busy first hour, actually. Leon McDonald from the Blues very shortly. George Harper Jr. Now, George is a golf correspondent, works for the RNA actually, and he's on the course at Carnoustie uh, as we speak. So he will be able to give us an update uh, on what's happening uh, over there as Lydia Coe goes for glory there. And Anthony Crummy. Anthony Crummy, of course, that one owned to cricket people, worked for New Zealand cricket for a while, but now uh, he is the CEO of New Zealand hockey. Uh, so the aftermath of uh, what we'd have to say is a, a relatively unsuccessful Olympic campaign. Much more too uh, in the hours between 9 and 12. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it's a short tale this morning of two ladies who in the days ahead seek the same goal, but their paths could not be further apart, and the goal is glory. Lydia Coe at 24 will attempt to become champion women's golfer at the British Open in Carnoustie. She's already a superstar, a multi-millionaire, and will be looking to further enhance her reputation in her field. Gina Fabian, at 31, will attempt to make the, the final of the lightweight division in the Professional Fighters League. Fabian, a title holder in Mai Tai, finally gets the fight she has been striving for after already being cruelly denied when at her peak by, guess what, yep, COVID-19. And uh, to be honest, Gina is hardly a household name. Well, not yet anyway. For Lydia, the chance to win just over a million dollars, the money doesn't matter. For Gina, the chance to win around $1.4 million, I'm guessing the money does. Lydia's foe is Carnoustie, a Lynx-style golf course with demon rough and exposed to all sorts of weird wins. Gina's is Kayla Harrison, an unbeaten American, double Olympic champion, with a fierce reputation as one of the biggest names in the sport. She's the warmest of favourites, is Harrison. Lydia's quest will take four days. Gina's around 15 minutes. Lydia will walk the course as one of the favourites with a smile and with her customary arm-swinging stroll will charm the media, whatever the outcome. They love her. Gina won't have time to afford a smile. Her look will be steely-eyed, determined, but anxious. She'll have a chance to impress the media, but she is the clear underdog, and to be fair, they really don't know much about her. Lydia has many great quotes over her illustrious time, too many to mention. Gina has one which is really simple but sums up her case. Everyone's unbeatable until they're beaten. I've never really heard that, but it is so true. So we will watch on. We say good luck ladies, go well as you fly our flag, whether four days or 15 minutes, we're with you. 
every step of the way. here on SENZ uh, and first up this morning joined by Blues coach Leon McDonald. Uh, morning Leon, thanks for joining us. Thanks Abby, how are you mate, are you well? Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty well mate, frustrated like everyone I guess and particularly in, in your case as you, you know, your, most of your activity uh, d- is dependent on getting out and about and watching things and, and working with people um, must be extremely frustrating that it's just been put on hold for a while and, and that period of hold is, is a bit indefinite at the moment. Yeah, that's it is frustrating for everybody, really, isn't it? In terms of rugby, it's um, I suppose we're pretty lucky to get through that Trans Tasman comp and, and actually get over to Australia. That seems like a world world apart now. You know, the ability to travel again. So, um, yeah, we're locked down again, and um, yeah, hopefully it's, it's not too too long, but it looks like it might be. Uh, Leon, uh, news during the week that uh, you've lost uh, one of your lieutenants, Tana Umanga, leaving the Blues to go about some uh, private family business. Was that a surprise to you? Uh, it was. It wasn't a total surprise. Like, uh, Tana and Rochelle had started their business probably halfway through our our season, and um, you know, T was um, working around the clock really and trying to get the business up and, and up and started and. and while she was working with us and doing a great job with the Blues. So I think they just realised the, the magnitude of, of what a um, start-up business is and, and how much time it takes to get it moving. And, um, you know, it's, it's their project. They're pretty passionate about what um, what they're doing there. And um, so it wasn't a total surprise when I got the phone call and, and um, kind of explained. We sort of discussed, discussed the business quite a few times beforehand. So I did understand, you know, a lot about it. So, yeah, it wasn't a total surprise, but... It, Definitely disappointed um, because we're going to miss him. You know, he's done a fantastic job and um, you know, he's a big part of our team. Just say, just say he can't come back to the Blues and the business is too busy and successful that uh, his rugby coaching career is over or put on hold for quite some time. Uh, what has he meant, Tanari Munga, meant to the Blues uh, over his period of time there? Um, I, I suppose if you spoke to the, um, the players, you'd get a really good understanding. You know, he's... Um, He's a special person, a special coach. He he, he really is. He's got a way about him. Um, he's really respectful. He's um, but yet he's firm and fair. Um, he's got a great game understanding and multiple positions as well. He, he gets he gets you know a, a lot of the game. He was actually helping us with our lineouts at times this year. You know, so that's just mm. how versatile he was as a coach. Um, obviously, he's had his times he coached. Um, Really brought a passion to defence, and I think we saw that in the way we defended. I think we were the um, you know, number one statistically defensive team in terms of tries conceded this year, which was was just massive for us. And you know, we all know that um, defence wins titles, and and you know, we're able to win that transition on the back of of that work. So, um, yeah, look, he's going to be a massive loss to to um, to the Blues and rugby. And I think the other thing that we we don't um, talk a lot about is around the wellness and. That, that cultural piece, that, that um, getting to know the the um, player on a, on a different level, understanding their culture, um, and how to bring the best out of them. And you know, he's got a way of of, of making um, players feel like they really belong and embracing the, that cultural piece as well. So, um, you know, on a, on a lot of levels, he's going to be missed. I know it's early days; it was only announced during the week. But uh, I mean, these positions um, 
need to be filled and relatively quickly as you go forward with your immediate planning. Have you, have you got someone in mind? Have you, have you looked at making an appointment yet? Um, yeah, we, we, we haven't got um, a person in mind. We've sort of um, written down a, a list, but we're going to advertise and see what's out there. It's a big role. It's a really important role. We, you know, we've made a lot of progress, uh, especially in the defensive area, and we want to make sure we get that right person to um, come in and, and carry on that, that, um, that role well. So um, I think the advertisement's going to go in the next day or two, and um, we'll shoulder tack a few guys to say, hey, look, you know, we'd like you to to um, consider um, applying and yeah, we'll go through a process but um, yeah, if you, you won't get a like for like replacement with Tana um, but you know, somebody else will come in and, and add their own flavour and value hopefully and, and be able to just keep us, um, you know, keep us pretty hard to breach, that's the plan. So Leon, at, at what stage now are you, are you planning for the forthcoming season? Where are you at and how does lockdown Sort of put a spanner in those works. Um, not huge. If there was ever going to be a lockdown, now's the time for us. This is just around recruiting, and um, I suppose it will affect us watching players in NPC. We've still got it's about six spots to go, so we want to pick you know, the NPC. So um, we're lucky enough to have a few rounds uh, to really pour through the footage. But um, yeah, that, that they'll put that on hold, and the rest of it's about planning for next year. Things like setting up where our camp's going to be, what we're going to do at camp. Um, also looking at our game and, and what we want to do around the evolution of our game and um, you know that normally just that's by watching a lot of rugby and trying to come up with some new ideas so um, most of that stuff I can do from um, I was doing a lot of it from cafes but I'll be doing it from my lounge at the moment so um, it is a, a nice time of year from my point of view but um, I know frustrations for the, the guys on the NPC <laughs> I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure there are and there's plenty of cafes to do it a lot more cafes in Auckland than Blenheim wouldn't there be I would imagine yeah, 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 there are. So that's part of my, um, you know, just keep going around and finding new cafes. It's quite fun at this time of year to watch games of rugby, and they must be sick of me sitting there with one cup of coffee for an hour, which isn't great value for them, probably. <laughs> How many positions, uh, Leon, uh, do you still have to fill at the Blues, and, and could you give any idea of what areas you're looking mainly at? Um, well, we're, most of them are draft spots for the last spots that we um, we fill in and they, they, you know you normally take into um, younger players that you'd like to bring in to develop or um, you know maybe just an opportunity to pick up the player from um, that, that will add something to the squad so and, and they are a variety of positions right from the forwards right through the backs um, obviously Paddy leaving quite late um, we've left a little bit of a hole at lock so we're on the hunt for a lock and um, but the rest of it's sort of just that, um, that draft space. So we're pretty well done. You know, our backs are fully contracted. We've got a um, really exciting backline for next year. Obviously, Rogers was uh, not far away from playing rugby, but lockdown's going to put a hold on that. And um, so he's underway, and, and um, obviously we'll get Bodie back. So a couple of um, additions here are going to be um, pretty good for us. So you've obviously had uh, plenty of contact with uh, Roger. Uh, obviously, as you say, it's, it's put on hold now. There was a possibility... He might have even been playing this weekend. Uh, we spoke to Craig, uh, Craig McGrath. He, he was saying that uh, he thought they perhaps might start him uh, on the in the 14 jersey. Uh, I know it's very early days. He hasn't even uh, passed a rugby ball in earnest yet. Uh, but what are you looking at in terms of uh, Roger Tuivasa-Shek? I, I just think for, 
that when we when we had our initial conversation, Alam and, and myself with with Roger, is how do we make sure he's successful at the start? You know, we don't want him to come in and and um, and it, it get you know and, and he struggles because it's it's you know we want him to be successful at the start and get his confidence up and um, how to do that? You know, make sure he's fit and he's already played 1,600 minutes for the Warriors, which is a lot of minutes, you know, in terms of of playing minutes. So he's already had a fair chunk of of um, rugby under his belt or, or league under his belt this year. So just managing that as well. <clears throat> um, he goes 100 miles an hour. He wants to train um, a lot, <laughs> which is great, you know, and it's just actually just harnessing that energy and um, the skill set stuff. But he's um, he's taken to it, to it like a duck to water, really. His, um, his catch pass is great. He's working hard on his kicking game. Um, he's spending a lot of time on that breakdown area and... and um, doesn't look like he's actually, um, you know, been away from the game a lot. So that's really exciting for him. But um, you know, there's a difference between the training pitch and, and um, you know, real game. So um, he'll be looking forward to taking that um, that first leap out onto the grass and getting a, a couple of games under his belt. But I think the right thing to do is ease him in. And I, you know, from from all accounts, it sounds like Auckland are going to ease him in off the onto the wing and um, and get him involved that way and and um, see, see how things progress from there. Leon, you, just finally, uh, you must be really thrilled at, at the form of Akira Iwani. I mean, you've worked very closely with him. Uh, he's been one of those players that's tended to frustrate from time to time. Um, but now I think uh, we're seeing a side of him that we knew was there uh, with the All Blacks. Yeah, Aki's been awesome, and so I, I am. I'm really thrilled, and I think um, you know, again, Tana's probably um, the guy that you, you'd really want to pat on the back. He's been um, a, a really close mentor of Akira over the last um, you know, three years or so, <clears throat> and um, you know, especially when things were, were tough for Aki and, and had his form dip, etc. So um, to see him come out the other side and then play rugby that we all you know knew that he had that potential to do is really exciting. It's, his work rate's been huge, um, and his physicality on defence um, has been the real shift. Really, you know, we knew he could run with the ball like like a midfielder and or a winger and and fend people off. And he's was, he was a special talent. But when you start adding that physicality on defence and work rate, you know, you're starting to get that complete player. And um, and you know, he's just been immense for the All Blacks. And um, yeah, so really thrilled for him. Okay, Leon. Thanks very much. We'll, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for your time this morning. Um, I, I won't say enjoy lockdown, I'm not sure anyone does, but uh, uh, enjoy the coffee at home and, and the planning for next season. Leon McDonald there, uh, head coach of the Blues, of course, on Tana Umanga, Akira Ioana, and uh, RTS in particular. New Zealand. Superman. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.22, we go live to Scotland now on the other side of the world, of course, uh, where the Women's British Open and is about to start tonight, New Zealand time actually, uh, and the bloke we've got probably I regard as the best job in the world is George Harper Jr. He strolls the fairways, he gets up close and personal with uh, players on both, um, both tours, men's and women's, and um, really has his finger on the pulse. Uh, George Harper, you might remember George from short and wide, you might remember George from the guy that G's up the crowd on the side uh, with the Crusaders. Uh, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Ian. Uh, thanks for the fantastic intro, mate. Uh, nice to hear from you. 
Oh, it's nice to hear from you too, uh, you're safe and well over there. Uh, whilst we, I mean, the boot's on the other foot here, we're the ones in lockdown. You, you're able to stroll um, stroll the fairways beginning tonight. Um, this uh, Scottish Women's Open, of course, um, you know, they didn't have to travel far from uh, to Carnoustie from the Dunbarney links. I think it's about uh, an hour by car, George, so they know the conditions pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's quite quite bizarre. You mentioned lockdown over here. Scotland's gone into level zero, so it's a, a lot of freedom. But uh, once we're inside the ropes and in the players' bubble, they're still trying to keep a little bit of security to make sure COVID doesn't creep into the field. But yeah, as you mentioned, Dumbarney Links is very close and to Carnoustie, and I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time in this part of the world. And uh, yeah, it's been beautiful all week. The sun's been shining, um, the fairways are glistening, and everything's ready to go. But apparently... Uh, that sun's not going to be around for too much longer. So um, we'll see what happens tomorrow. But, um, yeah, really excited to to see things uh, kick into gear here at uh, Carnoustie, or at Carnasty, as some people say. A pretty pretty tough track. Well, it is Carnasty at times, particularly when the wind blows and, the, and you start missing the fairways and hit the rough. Just how, just how punishing uh, does the rough look? I, I mean, I, I was there, I'm not name-dropping here, but the year that Vanderveld uh, lost the Open and one of the most famous finishes to the British Open uh, for men. Um, you know, the, the rough was very, very punishing. Uh, is it the same for the women? No, it's not not near as bad as that. Um, geez, you're winding back the clock there, Smitty. That's a, that's a great Open uh, to be a part of, that one. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the rough's a lot thinner um, this year than that year. So the, the women will have some, some saving grace every now and then, but the fairways are so tight. Um, the course is pretty long. I actually ran the course this evening for my first slice of fitness in a while and uh, really underestimated how long it was. So, um, yeah, I've just been doing my stretches. The back's feeling a bit stiff, uh, so it'll be, be a well-earned sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, that's a vision I don't want, uh, to be perfectly honest. Now, a vision I do want, George, uh, is uh, Lydia Ko, um at the top of the leaderboard, and she is in sublime form at the moment. Uh, have you had a chance to catch up with Lydia and, and just see where she's at? Yeah, yep, yeah. Always, always love catching up with with Lids on on this side of the world. Uh, look, it's just awesome to see what she's been up to recently, and um, and like what she did in the last round of the Scottish Open was was amazing. She shot sixty three, and she's just been trending, hasn't she? I think she's she's just been um, playing so consistent again, and we we all expect her to be near the top and. Look, she's second favourite at the bookies, and uh, yeah, she's first favourite for me this week. So I really hope that um, she can continue her form and, and make a run here at Carnoustie because she normally does. Last year at Troon, she made it. She made a good crack of it and just slowly sort of dropped out in the final round. But uh, she's just so calm and relaxed. Uh, yeah, really nice to chat to her, and, and she's yeah feeling very much at home here at Carnoustie. One of the things uh, coming out of the co-camp at the moment uh, from Lydia is that. She's still on track, she says, to retire. She doesn't want to be playing too long into the 30s, if at all. Uh, that gives her about six more years. She wants other things to, to do in life. Uh, are you surprised by that? Uh, you know, I mean, she's now uh, you know, getting back to the peak of her powers, it seems. Yeah, no, I've been lucky enough to... I used to work at New Zealand Golf, and I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time with Lids, and she said that many moons ago, and... And uh, it would not surprise me at all if she stuck to it. Golf's a, golf's a very challenging sport off the course. It's a very lonely sport. It's a very individual sport. 
uh, and you have to live a certain life that a lot of people, like it looks like roses when, you know, these, these players start making good money and everything's great, but it can be very lonely on tour, living in a suitcase and um, not getting to live that normal life. Lydia's sort of, um, you know, hasn't had what a lot of teenagers or what a lot of young young people have had in terms of, I guess, um, having fun outside of sport and stuff. So I, I think she'll stick to her word. She's, yeah, she's a, a lovely, honest kid and, um, yeah, I think she'll deserve a nice break after what's been a, an amazing career already, let alone what she can achieve in the next five or six years. George, for someone who's you know so popular and, and the name is so well known, not just around the world, but particularly here in New Zealand, she spends so much uh, of her year, her calendar outside of New Zealand. Um, you know, she hardly ever gets home to be fair. So, just give us an insight. What is Team Co? What what is who surrounds Lydia Co? Who who protects her? Who helps her? Who advises her? I mean, it's been well publicised. She's had so many coaches and caddies, etc. But what is Team Co at the moment? Yeah, it's funny. It's funny when people always, I guess, bring up uh, how many coaches and caddies. But like, so many players on the men's and women's tour churn through the same amount of coaches and the same amount of caddies. Like, it's not abnormal to see a new caddy on the bag. Like this week, turning up to Carnoustie, I saw Lydia's old caddy on a new bag, and then this another bloke that I know on another bag, and he's been through about you know, four or five different players over his time, whether it's men's or women. So it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a who's who and, and who needs a caddy from time to time. So it's not abnormal to do what Lydia's done. But look, she's got a good team, she's got a good coach and Sean Foley who's um had a chat to him at the open and, and he's really enjoying where Lydia's at and where she's progressing and life on and off the course is really balanced and yeah, she's just um yeah, really calm, really relaxed and like I only see her sort of once or twice a year and, and I can definitely sense that in the last couple of years she's matured so much. She's even You can see that she's grown up and become more of a woman and she's hitting the ball further and she's just a bit more mature both on and off the course and I really think that's going to um, make her golf get better and better over the next couple of years. George, Sophia Popoff won this last year. At the time she was the 304th ranked player in the world. She'd battled her way back from Lyme's disease. She's, um, you know, over, it was one of the great stories of anyone winning a major anywhere in the world at any time. Uh, but this year around the world, there's some truly formed golfers uh, competing. The field is so strong. Who, uh, outside of Lydia Co, should we look out for? Yeah, I love that you mentioned Sophia. I was um, there last year when she won doing the winners' interview, and it was just such a cool story. She is a really good champion golfer, and a really good image and a good story for, for the tournament. So, um, yeah, she's she's in fine spirits being back here defending. But um, obviously with the wind over here, I'm looking at people with strong ball flights. And, and Aria Jutanagan, after watching her for a few holes and, and on the range, like she's just a, she's just strong. She's just good. And, and I think she really likes Lynx golf. So um, I've put her in my one of my sort of picks, as you'll say, but also... Um, a couple of my favourite youngsters who, who um, we've been following since the amateur days, Atai Tatakun and Yuka Sasso, who, who we know won the US Open not long ago. Uh, these girls are young superstars of the future, and, and to be able to see them playing in majors is really cool as well. So, yeah, I think I think Ari is a, Ari is a real chance this week um, in terms of outside of Lydia. So looking forward to seeing if, um, if my pick comes to fruition there, that's for sure. 
George Harper, thank you very much for joining us uh, so very late in the evening over there. So thanks for, for staying up or, or staying in before you go out. Uh, look, uh, enjoy the Open. Uh, enjoy um, enjoy uh, Carnoustie. It is a fantastic occasion. And, um, and good luck to Lydia Coe. And a message from your mother. Behave, George, and get in contact every now and then. <laughs> That'll be nice. All the best, boy. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, well, it's good to good to hear from a family member, and uh, yeah, we're lucky enough to actually be staying at the Carnoustie Hotel. So, with Lydia teen off at I think seven fifty eight, I'll just be rolling out of bed at about seven fifty and uh, rocking onto the first tee. <laughs> well, I was going to say you're more likely to just be passing her as she walks to the first tee. You'll be getting home, but no, I won't say that. Good luck. <laughs> Cheers, mate. It is news time here on SENZ. Nine thirty-four here on SENZ. Uh, you'll know the name Anthony Crummy if uh, you know anything about administration in New Zealand sport. Formerly uh, involved with New Zealand cricket uh, as the deputy chief executive, he's seen positions in the Cricket World Cup two thousand and fifteen, Rugby World Cup two thousand eleven. Uh, but now uh, Anthony Crummy is the CEO of Hockey New Zealand, and New Zealand secured twenty medals at the recent Tokyo Olympics. But a couple of sports wouldn't be too happy. We would imagine with their showing at the games. And field hockey is perhaps one of those sports, the Black Sticks, failing to make it out of group play, the men that is, and the women's uh, losing in the quarterfinals. So Anthony Crummy, um, not the most successful campaign over there when you look at some of other New Zealand sports, but is it that bad? Yeah, good morning, Ed. Uh, good to talk again. Um, yeah, look, you know, we're disappointed, clearly. Um, players, everyone involved. Um, hockey New Zealand, we all, we all wanted better, and... And expected better, so you know we're disappointed in the results. I suppose what we don't know, uh, we can only surmise. And we're going to, you know, we're obviously as you can imagine deep in pulling the campaign apart. You know, we don't know what impact had on our squad of you know not playing for this part of 15 months, all through 2020 and uh, early part of 2021. You know, I think we had seven or eight games each, men and women, um, against Australia. Uh, you know, compared to you know our position in um, in the games, you know, probably playing I think Belgium, Holland, etc. Probably played 25, 30 games in the build-up, you know, even this year. So um, clearly, we didn't do as well as we wanted, uh, notwithstanding that build-up. But um, you know, I don't think it's as bad. I, you know, I look at our, our women; they knocked off the silver medalists, you know, through Argentina three 0 early on in the tournament. Now, men, you know, we probably expected probably would have. Uh, like a point and a draw against India, show, had a good showing against them, and at times played pretty consistent and good hockey. Although you know, clearly over over the journey we started to fade, and um, you know we have to look at how that why what contributed to that happening. I'd say heat might have been a factor. Would, would you think? Uh, you know, they're out in it a lot. They're running around more than most. Uh, you know, uh, it really did seem oppressive at times. So would that have possibly caught them coming by surprise a wee bit? out of uh, the conditions in New Zealand that, that they were at the time? Yeah, look, clearly, um, you know, it, it was a pretty brutal, a pretty brutal environment to be playing. And I think when you couple it with the lack of preparation that we were able to secure, so, you know, I think our men, you know, we had some big injuries right through. I mean, we were probably playing with, you know, 14 players at one point for, for the last few games with some key players out. And similarly, the women had some pretty major injuries. Um, there's no doubt fatigue would have been a part of it. We we did heat training. Um, you know, we had great support from High Performance Sport New Zealand in terms of how we, we go about our heat heat preparation. That said, 
you know, we couldn't travel. So, you know, we had a two-week camp for both teams scheduled to be in Japan going straight into Tokyo. So that was pretty pretty important to our climatisation. Um, you know, no matter how much heat training you do in New Zealand, it's very hard to replicate, uh, you know, from our winter into um, into a, you know, Japanese, um, you know, humidity and heat environment. So, um, you know, those two campaigns into Tokyo, those, uh, to- uh, those two camps, sorry, into Japan prior to the Games couldn't happen for both teams for obvious reasons. So, you know, clearly, you know, the guys, uh, both teams left nothing on the on the turf. You could see that they were dead on their feet towards the end of it. So, you know, it wasn't from lack of effort, but clearly the preparation will have had an impact. Anthony, what, what form does a review take of this nature? I mean, do you get the coaches in? Do you talk to senior players? To, or do you, do you go outside uh, for observations? Yeah, all of it, man. Absolutely all of it. So... Um, you know, first and foremost, we look at look at the campaign. You know, more specifically, what what went well, what didn't. Um, you know, there's there's the on the turf stuff. Um, you know, tactically, etc. Then there's the the preparation and the build up. You know, did we get that right? What was in our control? Um, that's probably the first thing. So everything that was in our control, did we do it as best we could? Um, did we get it right? Um, you know, all of those sort of things that you would expect to go through. And then there'll be some of the external factors. Really, for me, um, is actually what do we do going forward? So, you know, we're going to take a really good look at um, what could we do differently to reset and take us to the next step. You know, we're not far away. Our women, gold medalists, uh, Com Games, men, silver. Um, and then, you know, pretty much uh, a year after that, you know, we were sort of put into hibernation. The program was put in hibernation for a year. So, um, you know, we're not far away. We showed during the Olympics that we actually we can compete for periods and uh, women particularly, um, you know, as I say, um, beating the silver medalists. So what's it going to take for us uh, to take that next step and be more consistently performing at that top level? That, that's what I'm really focused on. So what could we do differently, you know, in a home environment, um, you know, how our, um, in the build-up um, to, to major events and, and the access to international competition? Clearly next year, you know, we've got a big year. We've got World Cup coming up for the women and Com Games for both. And then we've got a Men's World Cup in early 2023. So we've still got some big tournaments coming up. That said, you know, there's still a bit of uncertainty as to what our future playing program looks like early and mid next year, given, you know, like every sport and every business and, mm. and every family, you know, everyone's facing uncertainty at the moment. So, you know, we've got to keep looking at um, how we adapt through that. Exactly. I mean, you only have to look at the situation in New Zealand now. If if you had had a camp planned for anywhere in New Zealand this weekend, uh, you know, you'd have had to cancel it two days ago at, at very short notice. So I, I sympathise uh, with, with you people trying to organise that uh, and whatever the code is. Uh, look, the, the, the women, um, you know, got through to the quarterfinals, uh, beaten the 3-0 there. They, they really had a, a terrific start knocking over Argentina. So that got us all really on the edge of our seats, hoping... Uh, but then, as you say, it, the campaigns, both campaigns tended to fall away a, a wee bit for reasons you're going to find out about. Uh, is the, should we be alarmed by the gap? Uh, uh, you know, um, not making the playoffs on, in the men's side of things, uh, knocked out at the quarterfinal stage. Is there a gap there, a clear gap, or are, are we just looking at sort of a one-off tournament here? Yeah, look, um, it's a good question. Look, we're we're encouraged by um, by both squads. We've got, um, you know, we do have some world class players there. Um, you know, clearly we are going to have some um, some change in the squad, no doubt, over the next few years. That always happens because, you know, people, um, you know, careers come and uh, come to an end, and, and new ones start. So, um, you know, we have lost some. Um, you know, obviously Kayla. 
pre pre the event, and um, we've got some other key players who, um, you know, we didn't really have access to during the tournament the way we like. You know, Stacey was was battling away uh, with injury, Sam and Sam Charlton and some others in the women's environment, and the men again. So, um, you know, we're encouraged by what's in front of us. That said, um, there's no doubt, um, you know, we we need to look at what's going to make us, what's a New Zealand way of actually making sure our players can compete at the elite level going forward long term. You know, we have a different environment. We don't have the same club structure that they have in Europe, for example. Um, you know, we don't have um, access to that international competition at the moment. Um, ordinarily, we would through the Pro League. So. Um, keeping to that exposure, you know, what's the role of our, how's our pipeline um, really developed through under-21s and, and um, you know, New Zealand A programs, that's all really going to be looked at quite hard to make sure that we actually keep that pipeline nice and full as we go through. Like a lot of sports uh, in uh, New Zealand in particular at the moment, um, you know, the cultures and, and things and the, the processes I've got, particularly with people under pressure, etc., are under serious scrutiny. Are uh, you, you happy, uh, Anthony, with uh, the culture uh, in in New Zealand hockey at the moment? There were issues perhaps three or four years ago or three years ago. Uh, are you happy with the way things are, are tracking inside the group these days? Yeah, uh, it's a good question, Ian. We've, we've put a lot of effort into that area um, and you know really worked hard at, at building that. I think, um, look, it's a, it's a really tough environment, as we know, high-performance sport, but I don't think having really good well-being environments where athletes feel safe and well-supported and, um, and encouraged to give their views and, um, and have good work-life balance um, are at odds with elite performance. Um, you know, if, if you just know yourself, if you're on a knife edge the whole time, um, you know, you're not going to be performing at your best. So we need to make sure we keep developing the environment. It's a really complex area, clearly. Um, but we're, you know, we've, we've put a lot of steps in place to make sure that um, you know, players can feedback where, where, where things are going well, where they're not. Um, and again, there's always individual support mechanisms for people who might be struggling, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's through, through hockey or whether it's through um, personal circumstances or whatever. Um, you know, there's mechanisms there for them to reach out to. That's great. Uh, Anthony, just finally... Uh, of course, if all sport needs funding. Uh, you can't go anywhere without funding these days. Um, so, uh, do you sit now nervously a little bit? Uh, you know, because some a lot of funding is done on uh, previous performance as opposed to looking ahead. Not sure about that system, but anyway, that's the way that it is at the moment. You're a bit nervous about the funding side of things, or are you comfy about that? Uh, oh, look, it's an important aspect to our campaign and our program, and so yeah, we're um, you know we we watch it closely. What I would say is that, um, you know, we are focused on what it is going to take to take us to that next step. And I'm confident that we will develop uh, and refine our processes and, and systems to make sure that our players do keep performing at that level. I do think, you know, we've had a history of, um, you know, just as I say, not too long ago, won a gold medal and the, the men pulled a silver um, against Australia. And that was only uh, a few years ago. And then we've had a pretty disrupted year or two. So, I'd like to think that um, you know hockey offers quite a lot to the sporting fabric of New Zealand. You know, it's a big participation sport. You know, we've got 80,000 registered players across summer and winter hockey. We've got um, you know it's a huge uh, dual gender sport. 51% female, 49% male. You know, we offer a lot and we compete on the world stage. So I'd like to think all of that um, you know is a really important ingredient to the to the sporting fabric of New Zealand. So. Now, we're really focused on what it's going to do to keep that top end um, as it relates to high-performance sport 
how do we keep that top end uh, performing at that level to make sure that we can, um, you know, that we, we keep supported by uh, high performance support New Zealand. Good luck, Anthony, with that. Uh, good luck with your review and uh, with uh, what's coming up with uh, New Zealand hockey in general. Thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, folks, 8833 is our text number. 8833 is our text number. 0800 is the phone number. Uh, in the last 45 minutes, three in-depth interviews. What have you learnt from those? What do you think of Lydia Coe's chances? Tonight in the British Open. Five was Lisa Carrington winning three gold medals at the Tokyo Games. Four, the Black Caps winning the World Test Championship mace. Three, Daniel Loder winning two gold medals at the Atlanta Olympics, Atlanta Olympics in 1996. Two, Michael Campbell holding off Tiger Woods. How good was that to win the US Open back in 2005? Number one was the All Blacks winning the Rugby World Cup here at home in 2011. There's been a, a number um, of people texting in uh, with disagreement, <coughs> including this, uh, this one here. Scrolling through the list of top 25 New Zealand sporting moments, uh, why did Ross Taylor's 219 not make it at the Wacker in 2015? In 144 years of Test cricket in Australia, it remains the highest individual score by an overseas player, and that includes all the greats of the games. It's likely to remain at the top for many years too. Never got the recognition he deserved for that innings easily in the top 10. Totally agree, um, but we didn't vote for him um, here. Uh, they were um, really voted on by, by listeners. It was feedback. Uh, from texts and phone calls that we're able to compile that list. So, hey, great uh, topic to get in on too, 8833. Uh, please, uh, or 0800 150, um, you know, do you, do you disagree on 811? Do you disagree with uh, anything in that top 25? Is there a glaring one missing for you, like the Ross Taylor one? Totally in agreement there. 952, uh, as we head towards uh, 10 o'clock, uh, we'll have multi-time as well. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold her. Know when to fold her. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Terrible. Terrible yesterday, that's the only word for it really. The Dodgers did beat the Pirates 4-3, so uh, I got the, the cheap one home, the twenty-seven one home. Uh, but Houston lost to uh, the Kansas City Royals. The Astros went down, didn't think they'd go down two uh, days in a row to them, but they did. Uh, that was 3-1. Uh, Shopalov lost to Benoit Pierre, the Frenchman. Uh, that was in three sets, crap. And Billion Dollar Baby, absolute garbage, led them into the straight. Uh, was a hot prize favourite over there, really was, and ran like an absolute, whatever you like to call it, down the straight, ran out of gas, ran dead last. So that was a complete and utter flop. Today, good God, I'd like to break, the, break this uh, midweek trend of not being able to get one home, so we'll give this one a go. Uh, women's NBA, uh, New York Liberty to beat the Seattle Storm. That's a buck seventy-five. women's NBA in America. Uh, tonight the league starts, another round starts, and it's the Melbourne Storm to beat the Titans by 13 plus. That's a buck 36. And Major League Soccer this afternoon, New England, who uh, pretty good side to beat DC United at a buck 73. That will return you four dollars 11. All the very best of luck with that one. I'm going to back it myself uh, at the TAB just to uh, show my confidence. Here's a couple of interesting ones. Uh, how did how did this how did this miss? John Day, the 19, the 96, 1996, just falls inside the bracket of 25 years. 
how did that test win in South Africa by the All Blacks not make that top 25, let alone perhaps the top five or six? Mate, a travesty, an absolute travesty. And I put it down to recency bias, Smithy. We had a lot of Olympians in our top 25. And because it was the Olympics during the time we were running the promotion, a lot of people were texting in about the men's eight. They were texting in about Bond and Murray reminiscing. Uh, they were texting in about Emma Twig. They are texting in about Lisa Carrington. So we had heaps of Olympics. And then the poor old 96 All Blacks, who had been touring South Africa for decades, trying to get that elusive series win. Couldn't get them there, Smithy. John Fitzpatrick, thumping the ground in joy. Unbelievable. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You know, three here, time to cross the Tasman to uh, one of my favourite guests, uh, an all-round good bloke doing a great job uh, and uh, a number of, wears a number of hats, but always seems to wear them very well. And uh, at the moment, of course, he's the CEO of the Warriors, is uh, Cameron George. Uh, good morning to you, Cameron. The last time we spoke to you, um, you were on uh, a six-game losing streak near the bottom of the table. Now you've won three in a row. It's a, a heck of a story uh, coming out of the Warriors at the moment. Uh, what's been the turnaround for you? Morning, Smitty. Um, look, mate, there's been a couple of things sort of happen, you know. Like, at, at one point in time, you you know, you do need to have that honest conversation with the group and, and the staff, and, and we all did together. And we worked out what we wanted to get out of the season, and that was putting in more effort and having a bit more fun and um, just going after what was in front of us. You know, we, we, weren't get, we weren't getting smashed on the field during that, you know, losing streak. Uh, but the most important thing is we weren't winning, so... Um, we just changed our mindset a little bit and got on with it. So um, one thing I do remember, we had a, a really good chat with Brendan McCullum and uh, he gave the boys some really good advice. And the one line that we've got up on our wall now is we're chasing the ball to the boundary and that's the most important thing you can do as a teammate. Interesting. Brendan McCullum, uh, yeah, he's got some great insights and uh, obviously he's used uh, all around the world as... In terms of, of, of leadership, mate, you lost your leader. You lost one of your great leaders in Roger Tuivasa-Sheik, of course. Um, and now, uh, my memory is, is that great farewell that he and Lisa and Amal got. Um, and and I, I think at that point, we all thought, uh, well, OK, let's, let's start looking forward to next year. But no, uh, your, your meeting has worked. Your turnaround has worked. Uh, has it worked to the extent that uh, we're still dreaming about top eight? Of course. Uh, you know, it starts again this week. We play the Broncos on, on Sunday and um, we've got boys who just got to prepare well and and be focused on this week. Um, you know, it's an old cliche week by week, but the reality is for us it is. Um, so we're not looking any any further than today, to be honest. Just get the training, get the job done. Uh, we're in a good space at the moment. Um, as you say, you know, with Rog and Lee leaving, is that was, you know, that was a critical point in time for us to, to work out what we wanted out of the rest of the season. So... With all that coupled up to where we're at now, um, we're really focused on trying to, you know, win every game we can to give us our best shot of getting in the top eight. Uh, Reese Walsh has uh, hit the headlines again because, uh, of course, he's in hot demand, and why wouldn't he be? He is certainly very, very good at what he does. Uh, what's his situation with you, uh, Cameron, and uh, at the Warriors, uh, and you know, in terms of the short term anyway, and just how competitive? Will the Reese Walsh market be in your mind? Oh, look, mate, I think 
you know, it's just ironic that they're playing the Broncos this week and the Brisbane media are throwing up that they're, you know, they're looking at him and carrying on. So, you know, good luck to them. They should never let him go in the first place. Um, we've put a lot of work in with Reese. Uh, he's certainly on contract to us for for a couple of years, and uh, we show Reese a great deal of faith when, um, when the, quite frankly, the Broncos didn't. So. Uh, on that basis, you know, um, Reese is enjoying his time. He's been given great opportunities with our club, and he's a uh, he's a terrific little footy player. And naturally, when they when they become free on the market, uh, it gets quite competitive. But you know, we're doing a lot of great things with Reese, and he's really enjoying his time. So we're looking forward to having him around for a while. Yeah, so at least a couple of years. And then, there, is there what a player option at the end of it? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, Reese. Reese, you know, for all intents and purposes, was, you know, shifting to New Zealand, um, which was always going to be the question mark for him and his young family. Uh, but as it stands now, um, you know, he's, he's very happy. He's playing good footy. Uh, his partner, Frieda, and little Bubba going well, and um, we're all having a good time. So hopefully that bodes well for the future when we sit down at the table. There's a bit of irony in uh, the world at the moment, isn't there? I know things chop and change every day, but here we were, uh, looking at the Warriors and how they've had to shift camps and they can't get home or whatever. And uh, and all of a sudden, um, we are the ones that are in lockdown. Had you had a game uh, this weekend in Auckland, uh, it would not have gone ahead, maybe even next weekend. So it, it just sort of emphasises uh, the crazy situation that, that uh, everyone's facing, but y- y- you might have been in. That's right. Uh, we only talked about that yesterday, Smithy. Um, even if we had played on Sunday at Mount Smart, retrospectively, I'd, I'd say we would have been put into isolation for 14 days and um, that would have impacted upon our next game and also the Bulldogs' next game. So the way it's worked out, it's, um, you know, it's worked out okay for us. But it's you know, really unfortunate for you guys to go back into lockdown and um, you know, we just hope all of our friends and fans and everyone you know, keeps safe over there, mate. We're thinking of you and um, we'll, we'll do our best this week to put a smile on your face. Sean Johnson has uh, been released early by the Cronulla Sharks. He's, he's uh, coming home when he can. Uh, of course, that's the big uh, runner there. Uh, what's the plan with Sean? Uh, when does he officially join the club as such? So Sean was due to fly back yesterday. Um, I'm going to ring him this morning to, to find out where he is uh, in isolation. Uh, so him and Kayla and the little bub flew back yesterday, as I understand it. Um, and what we'll do, we'll get some, you know, we'll get some training equipment to Sean in his room uh, where he's isolating, and then we'll rehab him for the rest of the year. So he's been released by the Sharks in order for us to undertake that rehab process, which is we're really keen to do because that allows us to focus on his um, program from start to finish. And he's in a good space; he's feeling good. I was talking to him the other day; he was so excited about getting home. Uh, we just need to make sure he gets his leg right and has a really good break um, and give him plenty of time to be right to go next year. Very excited to have Sean back and he'll be a great asset to us. Cameron, I know the season's not over. It might be far from over. That could be the good news looking on the horizon. But uh, how far forward do you start uh, looking at next year's squad? I mean, how settled is it? Um, How many more gaps do you envisage having to fill? Mate, you're always looking forward, uh, not just next year, year after. We had a recruitment meeting last night and, you know, we've got 27, 28 spots filled for next year. So we've got a couple of more spots and some development uh, contract opportunities as well. So 
Um, you know, we've got some terrific young kids that sadly no one's seen this year because, you know, they've had to play offshore and so on. Um, you know, coming through our system, we've got a really good balance of experience and youth in our top 30. Um, but we've also got a couple of spots and a bit of cash that we can spend in the salary cap if the right person comes up. And that's the key, Smithy, as you will appreciate the sport. You know, when you're buying players, um, the most important thing is getting the right player because it can take you years to to re-correct that if you don't get the right player. So um, we're just going to sit tight for a couple of months, see what happens at some other clubs. And, you know, if the right player pops up, we'll buy. Otherwise, we've got a really good squad for next year that's very... uh, It varies in a lot of different attributes, which is something we really wanted. Um, A lot of speed, a lot of experience, a lot of youth, uh, and something we're building quite nicely. And it's going to be... It's going to be a very similar squad we've got this year with a couple of additions being Sean Johnson and Aaron Penney, which is great. Just looking ahead, okay, you've got a great fan base over the side of the Tasman, you know that, um, and they've obviously been deprived of seeing their, their team uh, up front and personal in the flesh, so to speak. So I just wonder, just say things were back to normal, and that's a heck of a question, that's a hit these days, back to normal. What would uh, next year's season look like would you envisage because we're owed some games over here uh, in a weird sort of a way would they play more would the season be slightly more adjusted towards the Warriors playing more games at home than away no the look the NRL aren't going to be that lenient in that regard to us but what you know look in normal circumstances what we want to see are more away games played in New Zealand so you know, what I've been chipping away with in the background, but, you know, things like what's happening in New Zealand now is going to, I suppose, stifle the process, um, is buy away games, bring them and play them throughout New Zealand. You know, play them in your backyard in the Hawke's Bay, Wellington, Christchurch. Um, so it means that our home games are still at Mount Smart, but our away games, if we can get four or five of those and play them throughout the country, it would mean that we have 15, 16 games in New Zealand, but you know, the reality is the way the border situation is now, it's a high-risk proposition. So we've just got to work through that over the next month. But we can't wait to get home, mate. Um, we're desperate to get home. Um, but unfortunately, the borders are just restricting us from doing anything. Yeah, um, we sympathise you uh, with you on that, on that regard, uh, no doubt about it, Cameron. Hey, listen, um, one of the names that really has come to light uh, and I, I would imagine you know this bloke pretty well, is Peter Vlandis. Now, Peter Vlandis, uh, for those who perhaps don't know, is very, very instrumental uh, in racing being continued uh, in Australia. Cameron George, of course, is involved in the racing side of things. Uh, <coughs> so he's been very instrumental in racing continuing on through COVID. Uh, he's also very, very driven in terms of uh, rugby league and, and keeping the comp going over there. Uh, and uh, I just want to... Uh, you know, the guy, what, what makes him tick? What, what makes him so driven and so successful uh, fighting this virus on behalf of sporting fans, really? Yeah, look, mate, he's, a, he's an inspirational leader, no doubt. Um, but I'll tell you something, Smithy, he, he doesn't overanalyze stuff. Like, you talk to Peter Volandis, he wants to know what the idea is and how we're going to do it. All the detail in between, he doesn't actually really care about. If he believes in the idea that we can do something, he just puts it into action. Uh, too often, um, you know, we see people overanalyzing situations and trying to do great big PowerPoint presentations and try and sell you the world. All we need to know uh, from Peter is what he's going to do, and we've got a lot of trust in him. He'll go away and do it. Now, he applies that mindset through racing and footy. He said, 
we will play footy during the pandemic. And he went and got it done. Um, he didn't sit around for days trying to, you know, work out different details of it. He just went and put it to the government and they found out a way how they can do it. And that's what he's like. He just gets on and gets things done rather than sits around and overanalyzes it. He's a terrific person. He um, He's a bloke that if you, if you, you know, if you support him and show him some loyalty, mate, you get it back in bucket loads. Um, and we're quite fortunate in the Warriors. He's never forgotten what we've done for the game. Um, and he's a huge supporter of our club. So we're very lucky in that regard. Oh, I reckon sports fans on both sides of the Tasman have got a lot to thank this bloke for. Um, I know, you know, he, he's just been so good uh, during these lockdown times and in between as well. Uh, uh, I, I take my hat off to him. Uh, look, uh, getting back to the Warriors and, uh, and this weekend, it's, uh, it's the Broncos at Suncorp. Uh, the Broncos, uh, they've been playing some good footy as well uh, of late. So I, I reckon this is uh, sort of a make or break here uh, for the Warriors in terms of the table. But a really, really interesting clash, Cameron. It is. Um, they got most of their, their team on the park. Uh, I think they're losing their halfback, but Anthony Milford, you know, he's a million-dollar player, comes into their starting side. Um, they're young. They're progressive, you know, they're fast, they're fit. Uh, they haven't obviously won a lot of games this year, but they've been in a lot of games, you know, throughout the year. So they'll be tough uh, and playing at their home turf on a Sunday Arvo. Um, you know, there should be a good crowd there. I think they're allowed 50, 60% now. Um, so there'll be 20,000, 30,000 people there. And if it's a fast track, it'll be an exciting game of footy. Uh, what we're going to do is just turn up fit, ready, and, you know, there's no reason why we can't win. We've just got to go and get the work and do the work to win. So that's, that's, our, that's our motto for this week. Work hard to get it. Cameron George, thank you very much for your time, as always. Great to get the insight on uh, where the Warriors are at. Well, we sympathise. Uh, we look forward to the performance uh, this weekend with, with the lads. Um, it, it's just been inspiring, to be fair. I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. And I am genuinely a Warriors uh, convert for the sacrifice that they have made. Uh, 8833 is our text number. Uh, of course, uh, how important do you think uh, keeping Reese Walsh is to the equation? How uh, important instrumental do you think uh, Sean Johnson will be uh, second time round at the club? Uh, interesting matters for you league fans to consider. Let us know what you think. It is 10.16 here on SENZ. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 10.21 here on SENZ, uh, and uh, we've got uh, an, a public service announcement, really. Um, it's uh, from uh, the organi- organising committee chair, Dale Ertel, and it involves cycling. Uh, the organisers of the JSWAP Masters 2021 track cycling carnival that was to be held this weekend at the Avanti Drome in Cambridge is postponed, obviously due to the COVID-19 lockdowns. New dates will be announced in the next couple of days. If you've got uh, issues or things around COVID that you would like us to make public in terms of events you've got coming up in the days ahead, um, be like Dale. Uh, Send us the information and we'll be very, very happy to broadcast it. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Really good panel this morning. I'm so pleased to welcome in uh, Honey Hellemi Smiler. Uh, she of Sky Sports fame and uh, all-round knowledge on, on a number of topics. And Ollie Ritchie, who's not that long been uh, back from the Olympic Games, uh, where he's been reporting there over a, a number of things. Uh, we might start with you, Ollie. 
Uh, Ollie, uh, News Hub, of course. Uh, Ollie, where, where are you now? Are you out of quarantine? Are you home? No, not quite, Smithy. I've got about five days to go of uh, MIQ, um, and then I'll join the rest of you by, uh, by the sounds of it, uh, being locked down some <laughs> more. So uh, we'll, get, we'll get some freedom back in, uh, in a few days' time, but by the sounds of it, we won't get much. Hey Ollie, the Paralympics not too far away. We, you know, they're sort of they're always overshadowed, of course, by uh, the Summer Olympics anyway. But what signs did you see uh, in terms of, um, you know, the the sort of uh, variations, the sort of differences they have to make in terms of the facilities and things? Uh, were they underway while you were there, or have they had to be building those uh, in the interim? It wasn't while we were there, but they they do make quite a quick transition, I suppose, post. Uh, Olympics, they've kind of got that two-week buffer, right, where they post-Olympics, pre-Paralympics. Um, so it's generally in that time that we'll see a lot of those uh, changes made. But in saying that, a lot of those same facilities, same stadiums will be used, and they'll have already had any um, any changes or, or, or major changes, I suppose, uh, made to them prior to even the Olympics starting. Um, so we will still see those same facilities, same venues used uh, across uh, a lot of the sports that are in uh, the Olympics and the Paralympics, um, but a lot of the yeah, lo- a lot of those more major changes will probably come in that two-week window um, post Olympics and pre pre-Paralympics. Honey, good morning to you. Uh, listen, we've got to keep Reese Walsh, don't we? I just talked to Cameron George. We've got to keep Reese Walsh because uh, it seems the Broncos want him back, and they wouldn't be the only ones, would they? Yeah, Morena Smithy, yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely think we need to keep... He's uh, he's uh, been the best buy for the Warriors um, probably since you had Sean Johnson. And, I, um, yeah, I think the Warriors will do everything possible to, to, to keep our young new superstar um, at the club. But, I mean, he's... For me, I think Reese, um you know, is faced with quite a... Quite a, quite a pretty good, uh, I suppose, proposition, you know. And it's, I suppose, the Warriors have the upper hand and, you know, really creating that culture to make him want to stay at the club. And I think Sean Johnson, um, as Cam mentioned, will be a big part of that because Reese has come out earlier saying, you know, the likes of Sean Johnson were players that he looked up to. So now, you know, he, he, he's been lucky. He's been spent this year playing alongside the likes of Roger Tuivasa-Sheik and now next year he gets to play alongside Sean Johnson. So for me, I would think that uh, Sean is a big draw card to keep Reese at the club. Um, but yeah, again, like you know, the, the Broncos have got some good buys that they're they're pulling through for next year. Adam Reynolds, Dan Gagai, uh, you know. So so there's a bit of a it's a massive proposition really for for Reese and what he decides to do. You know, honey, what worries me about Reese Walsh is he's so damn good, um, but he's he's not huge, and it appears to me that if I was coaching the opposition against Reese Walsh, I'd want him not on the field. I'd want him out of play. Uh, you know, he, he just seems to be uh, a moving target for me, and, and moving targets get hit every now and then. Yeah, well, that, that, but that's, I think that's just like a superpower, you know, like he, because of his size and his, his incredible agility, um, you know, he's a moving target, but the, the thing is actually getting your hands on him, and that's what defences are struggling to do, is actually he seems to either step or his speed, or he can just slide through defences quite well, and and to be honest, he can take a, a decent hit too, you know. Uh, defensive teams are really targeting him because he is such an attack, attacking threat, but yet he still keeps coming back, you know. He's he's, he's having such a great season, um, and any team, I think, uh, that really tries to, I suppose, prepare their defensive 
system around him really have to, I suppose, take on board the, his agility power because, yeah, we haven't seen that for a long time and the quickness about his footwork and, and things like that is, is pretty impressive. Ollie, uh, just changing the subject uh, across to rugby uh, initially anyway, uh, look, it seems as if we're hearing that the, the All Blacks might find it hard uh, to get out of um, in New Zealand and into Perth when they wanted to because of COVID restrictions now. Of course, Australia, the boot's on the other foot now. Australia are looking at New Zealand and saying, we don't want New Zealanders here right at this very point in time. Uh, we've, over the last <clears throat> period of time, um, of course, made it very hard uh, for uh, opposition, uh, opposition teams to come in and out of the country because of, of our COVID policies. I mean, if you went the Wallabies or the Wiggles, you were going to battle. Uh, so it, it seems now um, that the All Blacks might not get there on time, which affects the Perth test. Um, but they've still got to go, don't they? Because it seems if there's any sort of Southern Hemisphere rugby at the moment, it will be in Western Australia. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right. They're going to have to head over there at some point, and the sooner they can get over there, the better. Uh, if they do have to do a, a two-week quarantine, and I wonder if there's some flexibility there uh, around you know, the All Blacks staying in their bubble and, and um, you know, maybe it's a reduced quarantine. I'm not sure. You know, maybe they just want to, to go um, and be as strict as possible and, and keep them in a two-week quarantine. And I suppose from an All Blacks perspective and a New Zealand Rokes perspective, you've probably got a plan uh, for the worst-case scenario, which would be that. So they'll want to get over there as, as soon as possible. But you're right, any rugby that will be played in the Southern Hemisphere will be played uh, probably in Perth, you would have to think. Um, so they need to get over there, and they need to get over there uh, relatively quickly. Um, it's a tough, tough situation for them because uh, they're going to have to do two weeks when they come back at the end of their end-of-year tour, and they had a meeting at the start of this year, end of last year, and it was agreed that they'd only do one lot of two weeks uh, managed isolation. Well, already they're looking at two. And that's how quickly these things can change. It's a, a tough situation for the All Blacks to be in, no doubt about it. Uh, different personal circumstances for different players, but uh, if they want to get these games played, and New Zealand rugby need these games to be played, all unions do really, uh, they, they're going to have to get over there as, as soon as possible. Honey, what, what's your what's your take on this? Um, should New Zealand, should the All Blacks get some sort of exemption? I mean, they gave the Wallabies one to come here. Yeah, how to say? I think the Wallabies exemption was given because they were they were already in a bubble before leaving Australia, so they didn't sort of pose as much of a risk. But with this outbreak happening at the moment, we know our All Blacks have been in Auckland. Um, they're, they're not in a bubble right now, so I'm assuming that Aussie probably will ensure that they have to have that 14-day quarantine if and when they go to Perth to, to make these test matches happen. So I, I don't think it's a, it's a like for like in that, you know, we gave them an exemption so they should give us because I think it's, it's very different scenarios uh, with, you know, with what's happening with this COVID. Honey, Helen Smiler is with us on the panel, as is uh, Ollie Ritchie. We're going to take a short break for the news, and when we come back, we might talk a little bit about uh, Lydia Coe. I know uh, uh, she's uh, a hot topic at the moment, not because she's playing well, but because the British Open is on tonight. It's the last women's major of the year, and just what has she meant uh, to New Zealand sport uh, in her short 24 years already, for I think up to two years now. Uh, on that subject of picking that team, Give us some names who you think will make the crossover from sevens straight back into fifteens. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'm assuming Stacey Walker will be a definite across there, probably also Theresa Fitzpatrick. Um, they're quite uh, stalwarts in the Blacksmiths 15. I'd love to see Sarah Hidden go back across and, and, and challenge that number seven position as well, and possibly Kelly Brazier because she is uh, you know, quite an experienced uh, player uh, throughout that as well. And then some of the uh, players that didn't go across to the seven, Shakira Baker, um, who's been playing in the SPC, uh, um, and a few others who didn't go with the Olympic group, um, but have been playing the SPC, they're definitely putting their hands up for that Black Swoons, uh selection that uh, should just come out soon as well. So uh, it's going to be a really strong team, whoever they pick in. And the SPC uh, this year, it's been some really quality football being played. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that selection. Uh, someone's just texted in and said, Portia Woodman. Oh, yes, Portia Woodman, of course, number one on the list. 100%. I think... I think that uh, Porsche's probably just a, an immediate shoe in there. Uh, there's no one that sort of, <laughs> I suppose, um, would, would doubt that uh, for Porsche, uh, 100%. But, yeah, again, like just some of these players that are coming out of SPC and really putting their hands up, uh, you see, with the Wellington Pride team, uh, Isha Letienga is doing a great job out on the wing there and, and a few others. So it's going to be, uh, it's really going to give GM, uh, Glenn Moore, you know, a real headache and... and and a good headache to have, I suppose, selecting this side. Uh, Ollie, Richie, you're an Aussie cricket fan. Uh, do you fear for Justin Langer, or is it time that Australia moved uh, Australia moved on from Justin Langer? And the view of the uh, the disastrous last tour that they've just had with white ball cricket. Oh, isn't it funny to see how much they're imploding, Smithy? They've got a home ashes just around the corner, and there's infighting already. It's brilliant. You know, if, if, any, if there was any time for an underwhelming, understrength English side uh, to come and take the ashes, maybe now it's it. Uh, look, it's an interesting one. Um, Justin Langer is clearly a bit of a hothead. He's clearly ruffled a few feathers uh, within that group. Uh, and right now, he's not getting the best out of them. So I think his contract is up, what is it, middle of next year, potentially. He needs to, or his, his, you know, his goal is to see them through the T20 World Cup and then, and then the ashes. Um, yeah, look, maybe it is time to go in a different direction for, for Australian cricket. You know, he was meant to be the man that was going to save Australian cricket, wasn't he, and bring about this brand new culture. Well, the culture doesn't seem to be any better over there. Um, so I'd say do away with, with Justin Langer and probably time to bring someone else in, someone that's at least uh, not going to explode at the, the media manager and at players at every uh, opportunity that he gets. I'd, I'd agree with you, uh, Ollie, and in a lot of capacities about England coming and getting them. Any England side that's toured there, and I say getting them, getting the Ashes, any England team of the past would have, probably would knock them over at the moment. Uh, although this one won't, uh, not, not unless they can find five batsmen to bat with Joe Root and someone to help Jimmy Anderson mm. out. Yeah, that's right. And the thing is, is that they've got, you know, a, a, an opening partnership that can barely survive a few balls at the moment and then they're going to come down under and face you know, Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood with a new ball in, in Australian conditions like you say, they've got Joe Root uh, and that's great but Joe Root's not going to win them in Ashes and Jimmy Anderson's uh, not going to win them in Ashes, they're, they're at all sorts at the, the moment aren't they and just you know, following that Indian test um, you know, you alluded to it on, on your show as well it's, it's, they're just not really going after it, they don't seem like they really want to chase wins and 
and we even saw some of that in the New Zealand series when you know Kane Williamson set them a, a target of, of 270 odd. You know, go and get it. Well, now nah, we'll just block it and we'll just see it out and we'll just bat to the draw. Um, there's no real desire in that team at the moment. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Even if the Australians are imploding, um, that English side is, is probably going to get nowhere near them. Um, it'll be probably a good series for Joe Root and Jimmy Anderson, as you say, uh, and not much to write home about for the rest of them. Uh, honey, you're a high-profile New Zealand uh, sporting person. Uh, as a player, you were, of course, now as a, a commentator as well. Um, what does the name Lydia Coe mean uh, to you and to women's sport in New Zealand as an overview? Yeah, I think she's a massive inspiration to all to all uh, New Zealanders, not just not, not just our females, but to all New Zealanders and, and what she's achieved and how long she has achieved it for. Um, you know, like I mean, she was sort of thrust into it in her teenage years. I think she's you know one of the youngest fourteen. You know, she's top ranked by the time she was seventeen. But I think you know what I admire about her the most is that she just quietly goes about her business and just her. Her, uh, her work ethic and her just continuation to, to push, you know, be, be in that top ten of the world for year for year on year, she continues to achieve some some amazing milestones. And um, for for us back here in Little New Zealand, that that's pretty massive to see someone like Lydia Ko uh, doing what she do, you know. And, and we talk about, you know, we we have someone like her where that we can look up to and, and young girls look up to and say, oh, man, I can, I can be that and I can do that because this is what Lydia's doing and she's really setting that pathway and that legacy. Uh, for you, Ollie, uh, you cover a lot of sports, but um, uh, Lydia Coe uh, all set to tee off uh, in uh, around about 10 hours' time in the, the Women's British Open. Uh, that'll be uh, live on Sky TV at, um, at, at some point as well. Uh, what is Lydia Ko, if you, if you compare Lydia Ko, I don't know, to uh, a male equivalent at the moment, pretty hard to do on a moment's notice, but uh, what has Lydia Ko meant to, to you as, as you've uh, followed her career from afar? Yeah, I just think, uh, sort of touching on what Honey was, was talking about, um, she's, she's a bit of an inspiration, isn't she? The way that she was thrust into that spotlight, I suppose, from such a young age, you know, handled herself so well in, in a sport as high pressure as golf when it you know it's, it's not like rugby or football or cricket where you have teammates around you uh she is out there on her own um you know playing on some of the toughest courses in the world against some of the best players in the world and that is you know not an easy thing to do you know golf will drive the best of us crazy uh just trying to play off on, on a saturday or sunday and the way she manages uh, to go about her business is, is really quite special. I was talking to her after she won her, her bronze medal in Tokyo. Um, she just seemed to be really enjoying her golf again, um, which I think has probably been the key to her turning around her form uh, and winning a bit more. She's more relaxed. She's just enjoying being out there. She's hitting the ball well, um, and she's just doing it all with a smile on her face. So I think you know that that's probably been a, a real key to her turning around her, her fortunes. But you know, as a golfer, man, she's just gone from, from strength to strength and, you know, she never gets too high uh, on the highs and never gets, you know, too low on the lows um, and she just quietly goes about her business. So, you know, hopefully there are many more wins and, and hopefully some more major wins are to come for Lydia Co. Ollie Ritchie, honey, hit me, Smiler, thank you so much for being part of the panel this morning. It's been great getting your insights to uh, a number of uh, areas. Uh, across uh, a pretty broad spectrum there so thanks very much for that we'll have another panel of course tomorrow morning take a short break here and when we come back i understand john day
has some breaking news for us. In New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ten forty-six, and that piece of music, whatever it is, uh, signifies uh, breaking news here at SENZ, and that usually means I have to hand the microphone over to John Day with the latest update. You've been very busy this morning, Smithy, so you probably deserve a breather and a drink of water because this is some breaking news. Silver Ferns captain Amelia Ann Ekinazio, you'd know she's no wanted, by, uh, no longer wanted by the Pulse, which was very strange indeed. I don't know why you wouldn't want. Uh, the Silver Ferns captain, or maybe she didn't want her uh, them, who knows. But she will return to Elite Netball next year after signing with the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic for the 2022 ANZ Premiership. The star shooter, who is on maternity leave and due to give birth to her second child later this year, will wear the Magic strip for the first time, shifting north from the pulse after six seasons with the central side. So that is huge for the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic. I think only won one game this season, maybe two. Um, so they've got a huge asset in Amelia Ann Ekinazio, a great shooter, a very important cog uh, to the Pulse. She has been very successful with the Pulse. I think they made four finals in a row under her and two championships. So quite the coup from the magic there, Smithy. You know, normally I wouldn't um, raise my eyebrows at, at a move like that, John, um, because players come and go. They change franchises, uh, you know, almost uh, as often as they have hot meals these days, and contracts are just contracts, and you know they, they're there to be broken. But obviously, this one does uh, just get me just a little bit excited because of uh, what I've been reading about the reaction from the Pulse to Amelia Ann leaving, uh, and that has been very, very low key. A player, a highly decorated player, the current captain of your national team, leaves somewhere to go somewhere else. Normally. Uh, you would be saying, you know, we're really, really, really sad for her to leave. Now, I think I read a statement uh, from uh, the Pulse in general saying we wish her all the best in her new endeavours. But really speaking, we've heard nothing from the incoming coach, uh, Yvette McCausland jury to say that she would be that disappointed or, uh, you know, she just wants to move on and, and go forward. Uh, and that kind of attitude tends to suggest there's something a, a little bit behind the scenes. I don't know. I might just be stirring here with a wooden spoon. Uh, Gail Parata, of course, uh, resigned uh, after the last season with the Pulse, which was largely unsuccessful. Um, McCausland Jury comes back in for another stint. <clears throat> and I just, I just wonder, John, whether there's um, more to the story than, than meets the eye. Yeah, well, it could well be. Uh, Katrina Rore is a, a favourite daughter of the Pulse as well, and I don't think she's re-signed either after just having a child. So... Maybe the Pulse are moving in a different direction and maybe there is some sort of, I don't know, personality clash in there if you're reading between the lines. Very interesting stuff, Smithy, and I think we will have someone from the Magic just after 11 o'clock to talk about their new signing. Well, I look forward to that, uh, John, I really do. Um, uh, because, you know, it's our, our national women's game as such, although I think rugby's closing in on it. Women's rugby is closing in on it really fast. I still think the Silver Fence, uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, Women's teams across the board perhaps still just hold the upper hand, particularly when they can play in those great series that they, they play against Australia, etc. But uh, there's no doubt about it, women's rugby is closing in really fast on the back of uh, what we've been able to do in the sevens and uh, hopefully coming forward too in the 15-a-side game. So really, really important um, that, that netball 
carries on. And, and this is an interesting story. And as you say, we might get a, a bigger update on that uh, after 11 o'clock. And in fact, hopefully we might be able to get uh, to talk to uh, Amelia Ann Ekanazio herself. That would be a great get, John, if we can do that after 11 o'clock. Uh, in the meantime, uh, very shortly, we'll be talking to Louis Herman Watt and to uh, Paul Mawati from the TAB. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Uh, Louis Herman Watt joins us, uh, joins us uh, courtesy of loveracing.nz. Uh, Louis, yesterday you broke the news that uh, New Zealand Racing was uh, going to give it a crack. Uh during COVID. Uh, what's the latest news on that, my friend? Really, really, really good to be with you. Um, look, this is this is delicate. It's really, really delicate for New Zealand thoroughbred racing, harness racing for the Greyhound, all of them. But on the eve of the thoroughbred racing um, spring carnival, I guess, it's just a nightmare. This morning I've talked to a couple of prominent trainers down the country just to get the mood of the kind of stakeholding nation of the uh, racing industry and Look, they're trying to stay positive, but they can't see any way they race this weekend. So theoretically, if we went down to level three, we would be racing at Cambridge. The Royal Carcan meet's been moved there, and then New Plymouth. Um, I think everyone's being pretty realistic about it and thinking we won't be racing. What it all hangs on, Smithy, is can we get a way to race at level four? Because if it goes on and on and next week and we can't get racing up within a week or so, horses are going to go to Australia. Um, and a, a trainer told me that, you know, it'll, it won't be funny how many horses we lose to Australia if we can't get racing. So Bernard Saundry was on the show this morning with Baz and Iz, and he said they are lobbying government. They're doing what they can. They're trying to stay persistent. But, you know, do, it, it's an impossible situation for Bernard and the team, really. I mean, they know how important it is. But I guess the question is, how much is the government willing to listen? And, and can we figure out a way to race at level four? I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I want to know uh, what's what's the biggest uh, roadblock there. Is it the roads themselves? I mean, what is the biggest roadblock? Uh, is it the fear of passing it on, or is it? You know, I, 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 if it works in Australia, uh, and they've you know they've so, been pretty badly affected uh, over there. What's the biggest roadblock, Louis? The, well, the, the, the comparison to Australia isn't necessarily fair because their lockdown is far looser than ours. So they have Bunnings open, they've got cafes open, you know, they're really, and that's why their situation's ballooned out of control, right? So it, is, it isn't exactly apples and apples here. We are comparing kind of two different things, but I agree. What is the roadblock? You know, racetracks are nice open spaces, no crowds, trainers, they all follow the protocols. Would there be any different than the protocols that they followed at level three to level four? Is there any more chance that they're going to transmit the virus or there could be an outbreak than what they were doing at level three or what they would be doing at level three than level four? And, and those are the very, very important questions that we're trying to get clarity on. But as I say, it's a delicate situation for NZTR and the whole industry to be kind of waiting with bated breath for. Well, Louis, if you, if you get any updates, make sure um, you ring in or you let someone know here on SENZ because... Uh, we're in close partnership with the racing industry, and uh, I think we need to be uh, informed about the whole deal so we can let the punters know, so to speak. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. It's 
11.03 here on SENZ uh, as we head towards uh, 12 o'clock and Mark Stafford uh, throughout the afternoon. Uh, the big breaking news of the morning has just come through and that is that Silver Ferns captain Melian Ekinasio is moving from the Pulse in Wellington to the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic for next season's uh, competition. Uh, Melian has uh, been good enough to join us. First of all, uh, good morning to you, Emilia Rand. This news has caught uh, a lot of people by surprise. It seems to have happened quite quickly. How, how long has it been in the pipeline for you? Yeah, more than everybody. Um, yeah, well, I guess we have had to make some big decisions. Um, probably been in the pipeline for a couple of weeks now. So, um, yeah, it's taken us a little while. We've obviously got a lot of little kids to think about. So, yeah, it's taken a bit longer to kind of sort everything out. What's what's prompted uh, moving away from the pulse? Uh, was it was it totally your decision, or was it a uh, decision where uh, because there's been little stories and, and little behind the scenes things uh, coming up that, that perhaps it wasn't uh, a happy kind of a happy farewell? So is that the case or not? Yeah, well, I've I've, def- I've definitely read them and I've had lots of people contacting me. But the really big reason. Um, well, yeah, well, I mean, one of the reasons is there's definitely plenty. But um, obviously, um, you all know that I've been out this season and haven't played. And before I announced my pregnancy, I actually took um, some leave from netball as well. I needed to leave and look after my mental health. And coming back in, I mean, I always knew I was going to play next year. That was always the plan leading up to um, hopefully get a chance to play com games. But I just needed to be somewhere where I felt that I would be best supported to get back onto court and to get back um, and have a chance to wear the black dress again. So that was that was a really big thing for me, and I just felt like everything we've done with, with the Magic has, has really supported me as an athlete, as a silver fern, and as a mum, and, and there's so so many parts to it. But, yeah, I feel that that's been the best part of it. Must have been a pretty tough decision, though, Amelia-Ann, because uh, you were ultra-successful uh, with the Pulse, and, you know, there was obviously some very, very good times there. Yeah, we did have some some unreal times, and and I've got the best memories, and I'm so lucky to have played with with the girls I've played with, and I mean some of some have come and gone now, um, and that's just that's just the way it is. But yeah, I've got some really unreal memories, and we've got back to back champions which, um, championships, which is really cool as well. So I'll treasure, I'll treasure the golden years. Uh, Amelia Rand, you spoke just uh, a moment ago about uh, having to step away to just reassess things in terms of. Uh, the mental side of, of playing at the top level, etc. for you. Well, you know, obviously now, with your intention to come back and play, you're, you're pretty much over those. What what means did you have to take? Was it just time? Did you have consultation, etc.? Because it's such a hot item at the moment, and, and we all know what's happened, uh, you know, with, with Olivia Podmore, etc. Um, you know, c- can you give us a little bit of an insight there as to how you, uh, it snuck up on you and how you got over it? Yeah, for me, I don't, I, I'm not I'm sure if it did sneak up on me. I think there were a lot of signs leading up to me needing the break. Um, obviously, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on athletes now and um, and I kind of knew that I had to get to a certain point where potentially I did have the chance to to step away. Um, it was it was a really hard decision. But I think for me, I knew I needed, um, I knew I needed time with my family. Obviously, I'm a mum and being a mum and an athlete um, and a leader in this space is heavily demanding. So um, I knew I needed some time to just like literally get still and sit with myself and figure out what I really needed. 
once I got to that point, I knew I needed time away. I knew I needed some help. So we um, accessed some therapy and I, I needed some family around me. I needed that um, the support network around me to really um, help me just kind of settle back in. And, and it's been a long journey. I, I, it's not a journey that I think you're ever just fully over as well. So, um, yeah, that's part of... I knew when I came back into the sport, coming back into the sport, that was one of the things that was really high on my list to make sure that I could get back in, um, back on top without having to sacrifice um, anything important like that again. Yeah, well, sometimes a new environment can do that, something a bit fresh, can't it? Yes, well, that's what I'm hoping. Um, you know the old saying, nothing changes if nothing changes. So, yeah, I'm definitely excited for, yeah, just for um, for a fresh start and new opportunities. Working with um, new girls is, is always exciting as well too. So, you know, it's just everything is just changing at once too. So I guess I like a challenge. Yeah, you do, uh, and you've got one here, Amelia Rank, because let's be fair, it wasn't a great season for the Magic. Um, so you, you're going to a franchise um, happily that uh, will receive you because they need the help. What What do you think was, was missing that they do need the Magic looking forward? Look, I mean, we're uh, always looking, when you're not in the actual team, you're always looking from the outside. So we can only speculate and assume what they need. Um I'll just bring everything that I am. What all I can all I can really say today is, yeah, I'll bring absolutely everything that I am. I'm a person who really likes to give, and sometimes I overgive, and that's something I need to learn as well. Too, but um, I'll give absolutely everything I am on court, off court. I love being able to nurture um, players around me. Um, you know, obviously, I'm I've been in the game for a long time as well, too. So I've got a lot to give. So I'll bring everything that I can, um, you know, to to get us back on track. But I honestly believe that a happy team um, is a winning team as well too. So I'm sure we'll sort everything off court. And I always believe on court always helps look after itself a bit better. Uh, Amelia Anikanasio, you are, of course, uh, the current Silver Ferns captain. There will be one appointed if the netball, international netball goes ahead towards the end of this year because of your mm-hmm. pending birth. But uh, does this move to the Magic signify a stepping stone to getting back to the highest level for the Silver Ferns? Uh, For me personally, do you mean? Yes, yeah. Is that your aspiration? Yeah, 100%. I've always said that from the start, um, which is why I've remained in touch for everything for the Ferns now. And we'll support and up them as much as I can through this international season, which will be really cool. Um, But yes, it is definitely a big stepping stone for me. Um, Obviously, I need to be on court playing, um, before being able to be select, reselected again uh, towards the international team for next year. So that's the plan, um, and that's where I feel like I'm going to be most supported. Uh, here's a naughty journalist coming out in me. Um, oh, what about, okay, um, here we go. <laughs> yeah, here we go. What, what about um, the possibility that uh, one of your former teammates at uh, The Pulse Katrina Roy, I'm sure a very good friend of yours, any chance she might just follow you up the road to Hamilton? Hey, well, you never know. You can never say never. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure. As you know, she's a she's a mum, a first time mum as well too, and I know she's loving be loving being a mum now, which is a really special time. Obviously, I can relate hugely. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, Katrina, yeah, she's got so much experience as well, and you know, she's she's pretty much done it all. So I think anywhere she goes, she'll be able to add a huge amount of value. So a lot of news coming up in your life, of course, uh, a new new baby due, and we wish you uh, all the best, of course, with 
with uh, everything around that. Uh, a new a new franchise, uh, a new place to live. Where, where are you going to base yourself? <laughs> We're hoping to be based out of the mount, um, which I'm not complaining about at all. So, yeah, that's um, a, a big lifestyle change, which we're very happy about. Hey, look, uh, thanks for at uh, very short notice uh, coming on the show and, and giving us an update of exactly where you're at and where you're going. Uh, as I said, all the best with, with what's coming up in terms of uh, the birth and the, the new addition to the family and, and all the best uh, finding something that anyone can afford in Mount Maunganui. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> but no, thanks very much. Hey, good on you. Uh, that was uh, Amelia Ann uh, Ekanasio, who, of course, uh, the news just come out of the netball ranks that Amelia Ann is heading to uh, the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic for the forthcoming netball championship. Great news that she intends also to uh, to carry on through that level and straight back into the ranks of the Silver Ferns because she is an exceptionally fine player. Right, uh, I think we'll take a, a, a bit of a break. John, we might... Uh, Shall we solicit some calls? Uh, 8833. Yeah. Uh, 0800-150811 is the phone number. 8833. There's been a lot of things come up on the show this morning, so uh, welcome uh, your input on that. Um, and uh, when we, John and I might, uh, we might also talk about those uh, 25 sporting moments because there's been a little bit of controversy on uh, some of those ones that have, have missed out and some of those ones that have uh, ranked so highly. So uh, that coming up very shortly here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, it's now 11.18 here on SENZ. Interesting uh, work too uh, with uh, talking to the, the netball players. It's just so easy. You know, at the drop of a hat, they just come on the show. Uh, in fact, all women sportsmen, all women sportsmen are so good when they come on. They're bubbly, they're excited, uh, they look forward to things. They paint such a great picture. Uh, you know, I would have just imagined, John, the effort you would have had to go to to try and get perhaps uh, the current all-black captain if he was changing provinces. That would be quite big news. And in the morning, I, I would have just imagined how hard it would be to perhaps get access to him uh, and for him to willingly come on board and answer those questions like that. Yeah, I think we. Um, I don't think the problems with the athletes. I think most of the All Blacks are actually good dudes and would love to talk to us. But when they're inducted, they're taught that the media are the enemies. Some of them, we're out to get them. Um, but Amelia and Ekinazio, like there was some stuff there, like um, that was you know relatively controversial. I think she said uh, she wanted to go somewhere where she best feels supported. So read between the lines there. Um, moving from the pulse to the magic, maybe she didn't receive the support she wanted while she was taking the mental health breaks and uh, this time away with her child. Whereas I think if an All Black were was moving provinces for the same reason, we'd never get access to them uh, because they'd be scared of what the All Black would say on our show and it would turn into a headline and massive news. So, yeah, I think that's just the difference between the codes of netball and rugby. Netball are very accepting. They want the publicity. They want to talk to the media, whereas the All Blacks feel like they don't really need the media, which is fair enough, I guess. But I think the players themselves love talking to the media. So it's a, it's an interesting one there. Yeah, it is an interesting one. I find it a little bit strange from time to time, but uh, that's just the way of the world, I suppose, when you're... Uh, when you're the hottest property, uh, you're the hardest to get hold of, and and um, look, they're probably in uh, in a situation now where they're uh, looking to try and get uh, to Australia and parts further afield, but um, probably uh, <laughs> they wouldn't answer the phone anyway. They've got other 
bigger fish to fry than us on their plate at the moment. Speaking of being unpopular or making controversial decisions, etc., uh, John, uh, the top 25 hasn't gone down well in all particular areas. What, what are the contentious ones for you? I mean, we, we had that uh, text in this morning, 96 over the Springboks. Yeah, had to be. And only just scraped in in the 25-year bracket, but had to be in. It was massively important, wasn't it, that 96 finally beating the Springboks in South Africa for the first time ever. Uh, like you mentioned earlier on, Fitzy slamming the ground with his fist. It's just like a, a memory, a moment uh, that definitely deserved to be in the top 25 of the last 25 years. Um, and strange that it wasn't in there. The All Blacks didn't really dominate. Uh, they just had the two World Cups, I think, in the top 25 moments. Uh, the Black Ferns, their World Cup win, just snuck in there, I think, at number 24. There was no Black Ferns sevens. I think they've provided us with some great moments just recently, obviously, at the Olympics. And Kelly Brazier scoring that runaway try, going 90 metres uh, to win the Commonwealth Games gold. That didn't make it either. So uh, rugby was getting kind of shunned during the top 25, which is pretty interesting for a, a rugby nation. Um, and the World Cup final, Smithy, I know we didn't win it. You called it um, an iconic moment, but maybe not a top moment because we didn't win it, but we didn't lose it either. No, we didn't. I thought that might have been uh, a little bit higher up. Uh, but no, that's uh, incredible. Uh, Michael Campbell coming in at number two. That's interesting. And, and that's uh, I reckon that's quite apt. That, that winning that US Open with Tiger Woods breathing down his neck. Uh, I think that was a, a wonderful moment for, for sport in, in New Zealand, but for golf in particular. Uh, and I think that's a, a really interesting choice. What is single out the 2011 Rugby World Cup win over the 1987 one? What, what's the difference there? I mean, uh, both won at home. Um, you know, uh, the first one, I think, is always the sweetest. Uh, and then, of course, you, you get to a situation where, you know, you win one after a bit of a, a hiatus. So it was, what, like 24 years? So maybe um, the newer generation were part of the vote. Uh, the 1987 winners were, were back uh, in time a wee bit. Well, it is the last 25 years, Smithy, so that's outside the bracket. 1996 oh, is the cutoff. You silly idiot. So you 87, idiot, yeah. no chance. We'd have to no, do the, the previous 25 years. Maybe there's something we can do in the future so that uh, you and no, some of your mates right. at Turks can have a chat about that once I'm we're just, out of this lockdown. Hold it. I'm just going outside, John. Hold it just gone outside to give myself an uppercut. I'll be back shortly uh, to play some ads or something. That was stupid. Don't uppercut your mask off, mate. <laughs> I hope you're wearing uh, masks when you're outside. Absolutely. Even when I hang out the washing, I've got a mask on. Uh, uh, look, yeah. yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Winter Olympians got overlooked as well. I mean, Zoe Sadowski-Sinnott and Nico Porteous, I think in the space of an hour, both winning bronze medals at the Winter Olympics where we never win medals, you know? We've got one previous to that in our whole entire history in Annalisa Koberger, and they both missed out as well. So I'm starting to think, what was on this list? What were our listeners sending in to us? Mm, absolutely. Uh, look, I, hey, always one of conjecture, but one uh, which always prompts discussion. Uh, you know, I really like those, those particular things. I mean, it's the kind of thing you could drink a lot of beers with at the pub. Uh, and have a lot of discussion. At the end of the day, you still wouldn't agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, just <laughs> phenomenally good. Uh, Lisa Carrington, I thought, uh, on the knee-jerky thing of, of, of uh, you know, the Olympics just being here, and sometimes we react to the things we've most, uh, most uh, recently remembered. They're the freshest in our minds. Sometimes they are very high in those rankings positions. Just got a text through from Chris. Was the Hobart Test win in 2011 on the list of 25? It should have been, was it? Can you remember that? When uh, Ross Taylor capped the New Zealand to beat Australia at the Bell Reeve Oval, John. Was that there? Dougie. 
Dougie Bracewell, absolute legendary yeah. performance um, from another good CD man. Um, that was not on the list. Um, it was oh, quite God. a diverse list, actually. I was expecting rugby and cricket to dominate. Um, and really, I think a lot of Olympic sports came in and dominated. Uh, and of course, there was Scott Dixon winning the Indy 500. That was in there. So only one motorsport. There was nothing from supercars. Um, yeah. Oh, man. There's so many great cricket memories from the last 25 years. Uh yeah, and Hobart, I did forget about that. So thanks a lot, Chris, for that text. Um, that was one of the leg- most legendary uh, cricket wins all, of all time. Who was hanging in there at the end? Who got bowled? I we only won by four runs, didn't we? Was it Nathan Lyon? Oh, David, Warn- Nathan Warner, David Warner was there uh, at the end of that uh, innings. He made a not out 100, right? And um, that was his first 100 in test cricket. But uh, Nathan Lyon was the one, I recall this because I was part of the commentary team. In fact, I think I was calling it. Uh, with, <clears throat> I think, either Bill Laurie or Tony Gregg. But anyway, uh, what happened was, of course, because uh, Doug Bracewell had bowled a few no-balls, they had to review uh, the decision on whether his front foot had gone over the line. He knocked over uh, Nathan Lyon. So New- while New Zealand celebrated, all eyes were uh, just not so much on the big screen because I don't think back then they showed it on the big screen. So it was all just sort of done in-house. And in the end, um, they were basically looking up at the commentary box, I think, and... I tried to give them sort of a thumbs up as I could see the replays, but uh, it was a very muted um, celebration initially, and then, of course, they were able to celebrate. And the most incredible thing about that, we won the test. We had a number of players who played out of their skin. David Warner was mad in the match. Yuck. (laughs) Typical. So typical. Um, Yeah, so another... Great moment there. Um, keep them coming in, texting the ones that um, you thought maybe missed out. And I think we're going to do a collection of all our top 25 moments because we've got some great interviews of the moments along the way. So I think we're going to deliver that to you on f- tomorrow night um, at 6 o'clock. Uh, just the whole compilation of our 25 moments. Of course, fight sports were in there as well, Smithy. So it kind of shows, you know, we're moving away from just rugby and cricket and uh, Joseph Parker winning the WBO world title against Andy Ruiz at Spark Arena and uh, Israel Adesanya winning the uh, middleweight belt for the UFC, which is just a huge sport in New Zealand and one that's really growing. Of course, he's won the Hellbergs uh, award before in city kickboxing. Uh, I've got many uh, athletes in the UFC and Eugene Beerman was up for coach of the year when Dame Nolene Tauroa won it in 2019 and he was unlucky to miss out. So there's all these new sports, Smithy, that I think we're including in these top 25 moments that maybe wouldn't have been there if we had it five or ten years ago. And let's not forget Gina Fabian. Uh, if she was to knock over uh, her opponent uh, this afternoon, and in fact tomorrow morning, Kayla Harrison, uh, in this big fight, I didn't realise it's a, sort of a semi-final, this fight, in the competition. Uh, if she wins that, she goes through to the final. The winner of the final, 1.4 million bucks, John. $1.4 million. That is such a competitive... Uh, because that's separate from, um, is it Dana White's group? This is a different one altogether. Uh, and I've got a feeling that Ray Sefo is heavily involved in this particular group. And there's lots of them starting to develop uh, in opposition. So lots of opportunities. I mean, it's just a, a burgeoning business. And, of course, make a lot of money out of television rights. So we wish uh, her all the best. Fancy that. Uh, 15 minutes away from the final. Perhaps another 15 minutes away from $1.4 million. Exactly. Mm, Shows you just how massive those sports are now. I mean, a lot of people call it prison violence, Smithy. uh, What's your take on UFC? Have you come to enjoy it or uh, mixed martial martial arts? No, not yet. I'll be honest with you. It makes me me cringe a wee bit. I don't don't like the possibility that 
I, I can't quite get it across my head. I know it's a controlled environment. I know it's refereed, and I know that, you know as soon as uh, it looks like a, a, a um, you know a, a fighter is in desperate trouble, then the referee will just step in, and that's the end of the fight. So I, I don't mind that, but it doesn't take a hell of a lot of that kind of punishment uh, to hurt you for life. And I, I kind of, kind of, you know, if you went out in the street and you saw someone getting kneed in the head, you know, uh, or kicked in the head, it, it doesn't rub. You know, I don't like that. I, I wouldn't like that if I saw it in the street. So why is some bloke, I've often asked myself, why is some bloke making millions upon millions upon millions of dollars getting other people to do it on his behalf on TV? Uh, he, he's either the smartest bloke in the world, Stana White, or... Another type of bloke. That's my thought on it, John. Yeah, it, time for interesting. News, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is almost time for the news, and it's very much your time to call in to the show uh, and stump Smithy because we do have $50 from the TAB to give away. And Smithy, um, you've been okay, actually. You've got a couple of stumpings this week, but we always <laughs> seem to give that $50 away. So 0800 150 811, give us a call now. Uh, Brian will answer the phone very nicely, and you can steal $50 away from Smithy to get into your TAB account. And then, Smithy, after that, I think uh, we don't have a hell of a lot left on our agenda, and it is uh, COVID, so I reckon we should start something called Spinning a Yarn with Smithy. It just gave me a taste before you talking about that Hobart test. I just think um, uh, we can get uh, listeners to send in, what do you want to hear from Smithy, reliving some of his glory days? He's been involved in some of the greatest moments, both behind the mic and on the field for New Zealand in cricket and in rugby. Uh, behind the mic. So what are some moments from Smithy's career you'd just love to hear him talk about? You know, Hadley taking nine for it at the Gabba, your hundred that you scored at Eden Park, which is still a world record uh, for a number nine batsman, uh, highest total by a number nine batsman. So all those types of things. Uh, give us texts, and I reckon we'll do that tomorrow. Smithy, spinning a yarn with Smithy. Good on you. Okay, we'll do that. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go. Great time. 11.30 every day. We give away $50 thanks to the TAB with a quiz. Uh, you call in. I give you three sporting categories. You choose one of them. Then I ask you three questions. Get them all right. You win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB. But get one wrong and Smithy can come in and do his thing and stump you and you leave with nothing. And on the line this morning we have Jordan from Lockdown, Auckland. G'day, Jordan. Oh, good morning. Uh, what are you up to in Level 4? Essential uh, worker, out and about working. Nice, and what are you doing? Uh, do comms for Auckland Transport. Nice, well that would be pretty easy, wouldn't it, with no cars on the road? Uh, the infrastructure has still got to be kept going, so it's uh, 24-7. Got to keep those trains on time, that's what we do here at the radio too, hit those marks. So, alright, let's get us started. Uh, which sport do you want, rugby league, cricket or netball? I'll try netball. Netball, nice. I like that. No one tries netball. Brilliant. All right, Jordan from Auckland. Your first question. What decade did the Silver Ferns play their first test? The 1920s, the 1930s, or the 1940s? I'll go for 
Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well done, Jordan. You obviously knew that. No, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I could tell. 1938 against Australia is when the Silver Ferns played their first ever netball test. Smithy, you would have guessed 1930s? Not, not a chance. <laughs> not a, a damn chance. Okay, moving on. Next one. All right. When was the last time the Silver Ferns won gold at the Commonwealth Games, Jordan? Um, 2018. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, they bombed in 2018. They didn't even make the podium, didn't even get a medal. Uh, that's why winning the World Cup in 2019 was so unbelievable, thanks to Dame Nolene. So, Smithy, when was the last time the Silver Ferns won gold at the Commonwealth Games? Oh, well, it's either 2014 or 2010. I'll go 2010, 2010. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Well done, Smithy. Of course, that unforgettable double overtime game against Australia, which was in the top 25 sporting moments of the last 25 years, which means, Jordan, you have been stumped. Unlucky, mate. Yeah, thanks. Have a good day. Keep it essential. Well done. All right, we're on to Jimmy. G'day, Jimmy. Howdy. And you're from Auckland too, I understand. Yes, sure am. And are you locked down or you're an essential worker? Oh, just locked down, watching a bit of NRL replays. Oh, nice. Excellent. Great way to spend your time. Are you watching an old Warriors grand final? Yeah, can't beat it. Oh, excellent, excellent. Oh, um, do you want to continue on with netball or do you want to go league or cricket? Oh, I've got netball still. The missus is a netballer, so. Yeah, nice. Watch a bit of it. Excellent, yeah. excellent. All right, and you've only got one question to answer too, and you win that $50 from the TAB. So here is your question. Legendary goal shoot Irene Van Dyke played 217 test matches. But how many did she play for the Silver Ferns? 135, 145, or 155? Um, 135. Feet everywhere, body nowhere, and uh, the rest of him on the way back to the pavilion. No, that is not correct, leaving Smithy an opportunity for a stumping and just two options, Smithy. Yeah, something tells me she played 62 tests for South Africa, but I'm not sure about that. Um, the number 62, I once interviewed Irene and I had to do a lot of background work on her stats and things. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking um, that it's 62, but I won't take that one. I'll take, uh, I'm not guessing well at the moment, I'll take the other option, John. So 145 tests for New Zealand or 155 tests for New Zealand? I'm going to say she played 145 tests for New Zealand. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Well done, Smithy. You've got a stumping, and sorry, Jimmy. Go back to that uh, NRL replay, and, uh, yeah, you won't have 50 bucks from the TAB. Sorry, mate. Oh, that hurt. Yeah, yeah, it does hurt. A real <laughs> kick in the guts during lock- lockdown, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what's the next move, John? Are we are we going to try someone else or jackpot it tomorrow, eh? Shall we jackpot it tomorrow? Well, it's your call, your show, mate. Which way do you want to go? <clears throat> what's the time? 11.38. We got time for one more? Yeah, yeah. Should we give it away? Okay. okay. Excellent. Okay, let's have another crack. Who have you got on the line? I think we have John from Upper Hutt on the line. G'day, John. Yep. Okay. How you going? Excellent. you got yourself a bonus round here. Uh, we've stumped two people already. Great. So what do you want to go for, rugby league or cricket? 
We'll try Smithy on his favourite sport, cricket. Oh, be I like one. it. I like it. John from Upper Hutt, how are you going in the lockdown, mate? Oh, yeah, not doing a lot. Yeah. Just keeping it real. Nice. Were you one of those panic buyers at the supermarket? Absolutely not. <laughs> Good man. Good Despicable man. Despicable behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone had bought all the wine down at my local Foursquare. I wasn't too impressed with that. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So we're in a dry household. So anyway, question number one. New Zealand has the unfortunate distinction of scoring the least amount of runs in a test cricket innings. How many did they score? Um, in my mind, I got 28. Gonna know, go though. lower, go lower. I want to keep you in this, John. Go lower. Are oh, you giving him a tip? That's very nice of you, Smithy. There you go, John. Oh. You got a tip. Go lower. Oh, uh, twenty-seven. No, no, just just a tad lower, John. Twenty-six. There he yeah, twenty-six, John. Oh, there you go. I understand. What a hit in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. Oh, you little beauty, Smithy, in a very giving mood. Question number two. Who holds the record for the most career runs scored by a number eight batsman in Test cricket history? Oh, oh, oh. Is that in an individual innings or a, just in, in, a, in the, uh, most career. career runs? Yeah, batting at number uh, eight in Test cricket history. Ooh. Number eight. Uh, um. Uh, is it a wicketkeeper? No, it isn't a wicketkeeper. It is a New Zealander, right. though. I'll um, give you that clue. Oh, thank you. Um, New Zealand, number eight. Dang of a Tory. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. There we go. Daniel Vittori, 2,227 runs at number eight and an average smithy of 39.7. Mm. Wow. Very good player. Very, Great player. Very good player. And we'd still walk into the team today. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Final question, John, from Upper Hutt. For the $50 from the TAB, Brian Lara twice held the record for the most test runs scored in an innings, first with 375 and then with 400 not out, which is still the record today. But which batsman took the record off Lara initially? Michael Hayden. Close enough. Michael, Matthew, who cares? He's an Aussie. Oh, Matthew Hayden. Hayden. Yeah, John, do you remember how many he scored? Uh, I thought he got 400 against Zimbabwe. Nah, 380 against Zimbabwe. So that shouldn't really count no. anyway, should it? No. No, no, absolutely awesome, John. Great to give away the $50 from the TAB to you and enjoy the rest of your lockdown. Stay on the line and give us your details. Thanks, guys. Any yeah, well done, John. I've got horrible, horrible memories of uh, Upper Hutt playing cricket at Maidstone Park, played against Wellington. The Central Districts, uh, and I was on a slightly wet wicket. They had Chatfield, they had Bruce Taylor, they had uh, some bowlers who had just down, uh, landed on an awkward length. Uh, we started the game one day, and by uh, we started, I think, late at about two o'clock on the first day, and by five o'clock on the second day, uh, me and my teammates were having a beer in Palmerston North. Worked that out. We got rolled in about 11 hours uh, and still had time to drive to Palmerston North and drown our sorrows. So that was my memory. That was my memory of playing at Maidstone Park. We were shocking. We were smashed into the ground and we couldn't get out of Dodge quickly enough, I promise you. Uh, so calls and texts next, uh, uh, if you like, folks, 0800 
1508 last chance to have a say on this morning's show, or, or perhaps uh, text us in on 8833. Uh, yeah, that's when we come back here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.47 here on SENZ Mornings and uh, we'll be joined uh, by Mark Stafford just before 12 o'clock to see what's coming up on his show this morning. Uh, We've had uh, a number of texts in this morning. We thank you very much for those, but we can always uh, take a bit more. Uh, We talked to Cameron George, of course, just uh, after uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, and on that subject, uh, caller has uh, come in and said, I just hope that Reese Walsh becomes like Brett Webb and Sean Johnson uh, can stay ma- mainly injury-free. Uh, if that happens, the Warriors will have a good season. And I echo those thoughts, but I just kind of feel that uh, Reese Walsh is a serious target. I also pick up on uh, Cameron George's point there. They know, the Brisbane Broncos know that he's under contract to the Warriors, and I think the reason why they're... Uh, mentioning the fact that they would love him to come back is just because the Warriors are playing the Broncos this weekend. Would it have happened last week? Uh, would it have happened the week before? I doubt it. So I think it's just a play on that to get a few headlines and get uh, remind people that he's actually going back to Brisbane, uh, going back to play against Brisbane uh, and attract a more crowd if possible. Uh, hi, Smithy. Off topic, but who was the most difficult bowler you ever kept to? That's Dean. Um, I think the, the hardest guy I felt um, the most uncomfortable with, uh, was John Bracewell. The reason why John Bracewell spun the ball a long way. Uh, John Bracewell uh, was very, very aggressive, uh, very combative. Uh, some people said he should have been um, a fast bowler with the attitude he had. You just don't find aggressive spinners like John Bracewell as much. Uh, and, and he was threatening. He was always, always very determined to get first and out every ball. He didn't look like to contain John Bracewell. He was an attacking bowler, out and out attacking bowler. Uh, and and he, because of that, you always felt as a field around the bat or as a keeper that you felt under pressure because you really didn't want to let him down. Um, you, you didn't want to be um, the reason why he missed out on a wicket. Uh, he should have, uh, in hindsight, should have played uh, a lot more test matches, John Bracewell. Anyone that knows the Bracewell family know how combative they are. Uh, but he should have played more test matches in hindsight. Uh, and, and also, I, I think if, if the Black Caps right now I mentioned Daniel Vittori would walk back into the side. Right now, a player like John Bracewell would too because that is, I think, what they're, they're missing, a, a genuine, and I mean genuine, spin bowler who turns it uh, when the surface is, um, you know, is receptive to that. He can find it all, and, and he'd turn it a mile. So uh, he was always good there. I think he'd get in the black caps. That kind of player would get in the black caps now and strengthen them. Uh, and, and he also, of course, uh, has scored Test 100, so his batting ability is, is undoubted too. And in terms of guts, um, never ever would you uh, meet a guy who would uh, give more uh, than John Bracewell did in any situation. And, you know, he really got into a lot of con- confrontational situations with opposition team members, often his own team members as well. But it was only because he was trying damn, so damn hard to get the best out of everyone else as long as uh, get the best out of himself. So. Uh, a lot of respect for John Bracewell, and because of that attitude, because of his ability to spin the ball, uh, I think he was probably the hardest guy I, I ever kept to. So that's just a little praise, Dean. I hope it's acceptable. Uh, 11.50 here on SENZ, and Staffy very shortly. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
It's around four minutes to midday, and uh, we'll join Staffy a little bit earlier today, Staff, because I've just uh, heard a rumour come through uh, on the system, and the grapevine is saying there is a possibility that they might shift the remainder of the rugby championship uh, to the UK. Uh, that would be uh, an interesting move. Logistically, I would imagine it would be an about-face and everything, because at the moment we're thinking Perth, although the All Blacks are going to struggle to get there, it seems, but the UK for the rugby championship? Yeah, and I think it's a differing opinion with governments. Like I know I've got family that live in Western Australia and they are very unrepenting in giving exemptions to come in and rugby isn't a big draw card in the Western state. They might do it for the AFL. I think the finals are due to be played there. But on the face of it, Smithy, it actually does make sense um, because – London and the UK and, and Great Britain, they, they still have COVID in and around, but they are finding ways to deal with it their way. And they would open arms because the All Blacks will sell every stadium they play at. And as long as they come up with a nice little profit share for us, it makes sense. Then you only have to deal with one MIQ for, for probably now until, what would it be, the end of November, end of Northern Hemisphere mm. Tour. So my initial reaction is it actually probably makes sense. Well, if you're an all-black fan and you're prepared to, to you know, fork out and you can get out of the country, um, man, what a, to- what a time to be there if you've got, if you've got the hay. You, you're looking at the rugby championship, then you're looking at all those other test matches that, which are, are written into the program as well. So two to three months of, it's like a World Cup, for God's sake. Yeah, well, if you think about it, we've got a game against Australia, two against South Africa, two against Argentina, and then the normal four or five of the Northern Tour. You're right, it's, and all the rugby playing nations will be there. Japan are going there as well. So you can absolutely fill your boots, and um, it'll do great things for rugby up there. Okay, other news this morning. Um, one of your friends, uh, Amela Ran Ekanasio, has confirmed she's off to the Magic. We tried to find out whether one of your other friends, Katrina Raw, would be following, but uh, well, she wasn't too forthcoming on that, but seems very, very happy to make the, the journey north. Yeah, and it's something that the netballers have done in recent times as they do move around, and probably not as quite high profile as Amelia Ann, but we did see Karen Berger go to the tactics last season. We've seen the likes of Whitney Sunis, uh, Mila Riali Buchanan. Of course, Tiana Matuto went down to the steel, but she's going back to fill the void that... Amelia Ann um, left. I actually texted Amelia Ann this morning, very early this morning, and said, do you want to come on and talk about your decision? I haven't heard back from her. I, don't, I think she's just done it in her own way with her own little Instagram post. And um, I think you can get stale, or not stale, but the injection of a new team, a new province. And I talked to Karen Berger about that, and she loved it. It refreshed her. Yeah, well, it's uh, interesting, Steph. Um, yeah, um, can I just let you on a secret... Um, she did. She did talk to us. Where she was uh, kind enough to, um, uh, I think, someone from Netball New, um, New Zealand was able to uh, get hold of her, and she did at the very last second talk to her. But it was a very short interview, and I suppose you, you could get a lot more in depth one, in depth one, because uh, you're much more up on the, the netball side of things for us uh, this afternoon. Though, if you've got room for that, that would be great. But otherwise, what have you got in store for us? Uh, what we've got in store, you would have listeners would have enjoyed the pre uh, pre recorded interviews I did with Ben O'Keefe before he went to South Africa to officiate in the Springboks lines. I've got him live today, um, about quarter past 12. Uh, Also, we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to play uh, press conference bingo, so listen out for that. It's going to be a great game. Uh, Also talking to the Mad Butcher today. 
Oh, the wonderful mad butcher. They're trying to, the Broncos are trying to steal Reese Walsh off us. I don't think he'll be too happy about that. Uh, lots of other things. Mike Angove and others. Uh, it's going to be a good old afternoon. Well, I've just read a story, Steph, where the mad butcher of franchise might be dumping some meat. You know where you can dump it if you want it. 100%. Okay, here's, uh, here's my thank you for the morning. Thanks for that, Steph. Uh, thanks very much to Brian. Thanks very much to Trudy. Thanks very much to John Day. It's pretty tough in lockdown to get older people. You guys have all done a great job. I thank you, and thank you to you at home for listening. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.